This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shea podcast, Anthony Rivera, here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. Welcome to episode 59 of the Subway to Shea podcast. I've got a jam-packed show coming up, so much to talk about, and we have a guest joining us later, doing something a little different this week, going to get a perspective from the other side, a perspective from an NL East rival. Rich Baxter will join the show. Rich is a blogger at fightinphillies.com and the host of Phillies Talk Podcast. He's coming on to preview the upcoming series with the Philadelphia Phillies. There's two of them coming up, one this weekend, one next weekend, which should be good. But before we do that, we have some Mets business to take care of, and we start off with the New York Mets finally retaliating. It took 19 times for the Mets to get hit this season for this team to finally say they're not taking any more of this crap. Buck Showalter, Pete Alonzo, Max Scherzer and crew, they're done with it. They've been hit 19 out of 20 games this season, which is probably on pace for them to get hit 161 times during this 162-game season. I'm pretty sure that's going to change, but they've been hit the most in the major leagues. Now look at this stat. The second most team to be hit, to have their batters hit, is at 11. Can you believe that? The Mets at 19, the next team at 11. So the Mets were kind enough the first 18 times, but the 19th time, they finally had it. Tuesday night, Cody Whitley hit Pete Alonzo in the head. Luckily, Pete was okay. He went through the concussion protocol, passed that. You got to thank that C-flap. Every batter should have that C-flap on their helmet, especially now this season. It should be required that every player has that. This was the second time that Pete Alonzo was hit in the head. How crazy is that? He got up, he walked to first, he was frustrated, but cooler heads prevailed. But then we go to the final game of the series. The Cardinals win 10 to 5. Nimmo got brushed back almost in the face. He fell to the ground. JD Davis got hit in the foot. And then all hell broke loose in the bottom of the eighth. Mets relief pitcher Jan Lopez, who's probably everyone's favorite Met right now, throws high and tight at Nolan Arenado. Now, Take that high and tight with a grain of salt because it really wasn't that close. It wasn't close enough for Nolan Arenado to go nuts, especially going after Jan Lopez, who's probably not going to be on this team for that long. He'll probably be sent down, especially with the roster crunch coming. He'll probably get sent down sooner rather than later. So he's earned his stripes as a New York Met. Like I said, that pitch was not close enough to charge the mound. Obviously, the bench is cleared. 
One of the weirdest things to happen, and I've talked about it on Twitter, was Pete Alonso was brought down from behind by first base coach Stubby Clap. Yeah, that's what you heard it. Stubby Clap. And he got horse collared by Genesis Cabrera, the same Genesis Cabrera who, an inning earlier, hit JD Davis in the foot and knocked him out of the game. So not only does he hit JD Davis, he horse collars Pete Alonso. And now Cardinals fans are, you know, their behavior on Twitter as if Stubby Clap, like, destroyed Pete Alonso. He brought him down from behind. And on top of that, he got help from Genesis Cabrera. I like to see what would happen if it was face to face. But the Cardinals fans enjoy it now. Enjoy this now because in a couple of weeks, in May, in a four-game series, you guys are coming to Queens. And I'm darn sure that the Mets fan base is going to let you hear it. They're going to hear it. I know this series is during the week, but if Mets fans can somehow sell out a couple of these games or, you know, make it very uncomfortable. And I'm not saying to, you know, throw things on the field and, and you know, hit like run on the field and do stupid stuff. Be vocal. Let the Cardinals players hear it. Boo Nolan Arenado as much as you can. Let them hear. Let them know that this is our house. And the hope that the Mets can take that series and continue on their journey and their path to a hopeful playoff position come September, October. After the game, it was a tale of two coaches. Uh, Buck's comments were perfect. They were the best. When asked if, you know, how... Nolan Arenado handled it, and if he was out of line, he said, I'll let them worry about their players. I know our player got hit in the head and went to first base, and that's in regards to Pete Alonso. He didn't trash Nolan Arenado, but he made it very known that he handled it the wrong way. In the calmest, nicest way possible. The best way Buck could. Now you go to the other side. You go to Ali Marmol, the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. His comments on taking exception to Arenado getting hit. He goes on to say, when you come up top like that and jeopardize someone's career and life, yeah, I'm going to take exception to that. I mean, you would hope everyone would take exception to that. But did Ali watch the rest of the series? About four or five Mets got hit. Pete Alonso got hit in the head. You got to see this coming. To me, Ali Marmol is a weasel. It's like he wasn't even paying attention to the whole series of the Mets getting hit. And like I said before, it's like he totally missed Pete getting hit in the head. Ali was also okay with Clap taking down, had no issue with it, taking down Pete Alonzo. Cardinals are in for a rough se- series when they come over to City Field, that's for sure. That will be remembered. And it's not like it's happening later on in the season where possibly, you know, the wounds can heal. This wound is fresh. A couple weeks later, it's still fresh. Pete Alonzo on the benches clearing incident. We're going to stand up for ourselves. What happened today didn't even make sense. The ball wasn't even close. Something got started for no reason. Very true. Also going on to say, I'm a big, strong guy. If I wanted to put someone in the hospital, I easily could have. But I was just out there trying to protect my guys. Pete said everything right. I'm not trying to be a homer here. He was right. You go out there to protect your guys. And the same thing like the Cardinals did. But I just don't like the body language and how Ali Marmol went about it. They're going to hear it. They're going to hear it at City Field as well as they should. At the end of the day, although the Mets lost the game, they've won the first part of this war. Finally saying enough is enough. I can't wait for this four game set coming to City Field May 16th through the 19th. The issue not solved yet. 
is pitchers losing their grip. It happened all series long, which leads me to my next headline, and that is Chris Bassett's comments on the grip. After winning his third game of the season, Bassett complained about the baseballs and how MLB has handled the whole situation, basically calling out Major League Baseball. He goes on saying Major League Baseball has a very big problem with the baseballs. They are bad Everyone knows it. Every pitcher in the league knows it. MLB doesn't give a dang about it. They don't care. We have told them our problems with them. They don't care. It's big calling out Major League Baseball there by Chris Bassett. So what should be done about the grip? Is it really a big issue? Because the Mets aren't hitting guys in the other team, not at the rate the Mets are getting hit. So is the sticky situation the big issue? Are some of these pitchers just not that good? And then you have the whole situation with the grip and the sticky substance, which was taken out last year. There was a big crackdown. They had the checking of the pitchers after they came out of the mound in random innings. MLB statement following the comments of Chris Bassett said, MLB is always concerned about keeping hitters safe from dangerous pitches. We closely analyze trends in the game and have active conversations with our players and coaches to address concerns. Through April 26, league-wide statistics show hit-by-pitch rates and wild-pitch rates are down relative to previous seasons. However, one club has been hit more than twice as often as the league average so far in 2022, which is something we will continue to monitor. And that's from an MLB spokesperson. I think it was Pat Regazzo who posted this comment from there on Twitter, so I want to give credit to him for posting that. We will see if anything is done about this issue, but for the Mets, an even bigger decision looms on on a separate issue, and that's the roster crunch, the crackdown on what's going to happen, who is getting the hook, which two players will be getting the hook. The roster goes from 28 to 26 players on May 2nd. 14 pitchers max could be on the team until May 29th when it goes to 13. To me, the position players in jeopardy right now, Robinson Cano, obviously, Dom Smith, Luis Guillorme, uh, Possibly J.D. Davis. I'm thinking not so much him and Luis Guillorme. One person I think that cannot be on this list is Travis Jankowski. I know I've been a homer for Travis Jankowski, but he should not be cut. He's too valuable to this team right now. Defense, speed, and look at his offense. This season, he's batting 318. Uh, He's only got one RBI. He's got two stolen bases, three walks. He has produced. He is doing what Albert Amor Jr. was supposed to do last season for us. And we finally got a guy doing that. You can't tell me with him batting the way he is, playing defense, has the speed that he has to be sent down to protect Robinson Cano, although he has $40 million uh, on the docket for the Mets. He's batting 184. You got Dominic Smith batting 182. One of them has to be sent down or cut or whatever. It could be Dom Smith since he still has an option. And that may be the right way to go if you're not going to get rid of Cano. Obviously, they're not going to get rid of Luis Guillorme and J.D. Davis. I mentioned those two names earlier. J.D. Davis just got injured. Um... He is batting 231. He's got a home run and two RBIs, but he's not been getting that much playing time. He's only had 26 at-bats in 11 games. Luis Guillorme is starting to heat up a little bit. He's batting 259 right now. He's got five walks. He's got seven hits in 27 plate appearances. So it's going to be tough. But I think if you are going to demote someone, if you're not cutting Robinson Cano, and if you're holding on to the hope that maybe he could turn it around, then it's going to be Dom Smith. 
And if you're not taking down any two of the position players, then you got to go two pitchers and two pitchers from the bullpen. The pitcher's in trouble right now, Sean Reed Foley and Trevor Williams. I had Joely Rodriguez in there in the beginning, but he seems to be turning the corner. He handles lefties pretty well. He has a 6.75 ERA, one loss, but he's kind of turned it around. I would hold on to him for a little while longer because I like having two lefties in the pen, especially going with uh, Chase and Shreve, who's pitched very well this season. It's really been Chase and Shreve and Drew Smith. And if you want to include uh, Edwin Diaz in there, you can. But those guys have been the standouts in the bullpen this season uh, even Adam Adovino as well because the rest of the bullpen has struggled Seth Lugo uh, we mentioned Joely Rodriguez. Sean Reed Foley has struggled. Trevor Williams, Trevor May. It's been a struggle for these guys. And I do think that this is the end of the line for Sean Reed Foley. Sean Reed Foley, I think, is going to be the one that gets designated for assignment. He had a rough outing against the Cardinals. Cannot hold them to help the Mets come back in the game. Trevor Williams had that tough, tough, tough time in his start against the Arizona Diamondbacks who just like hit him all over the place. I think those two go. If you keep Trevor Williams and then you go one pitcher, one hitter, it's going to be Sean Reed Foley and probably Dom Smith. So tough, hard decisions to be made. The one thing that I ask is don't willpon this. I'm serious. Please don't willpon this. Do what is right for this team. Make the hard, tough decision. Gotta do what is right for this team to take them to the next step and to continue their success that it, they've done so far. Being atop of the division at 14-6, and six, don't take out the wrong players. All right, as the Mets get set for huge weekend series against the Philadelphia Phillies, I thought I'd bring on someone who covers them. So joining me now is Rich Baxter. Rich is a blogger at fightinphillies.com and the host of Phillies Talk Podcast. Rich, welcome to the Subway to Shea Podcast. How you doing, my friend? Doing great. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate you inviting me on to the show. Yeah, I thought it was a perfect time to bring you on, especially with the Mets getting set to play the Phillies uh, basically twice this week. Uh, one starting this weekend against uh, the Phillies in City Field, and then going next weekend all the way to Philly for, I think, what is a four-game set that should be coming up. I just got done talking about the Mets roster crunch as teams go from the 28-man roster to the 26-man roster on May 2nd. I'll pose the question to you. How do you think the Phillies will handle the cuts come May 2nd? Well, I think it'll be fairly easy for them. Uh, they just brought up a guy from AAA the other day, uh, Roman Quinn, who's an extra center fielder. He'll probably go down. And, you know, the Phillies have a lot of stable stars this year, so to speak, uh, although they haven't really fired off as well as we thought they were going to. But uh, they do have some flexibility in the roster, so I don't think it's really going to hurt them too much. So it's a little bit of easier decision-making regarding the Phillies than, say, what the Mets have going on because you have, you know, Robinson Cano struggling, uh, Dom Smith struggling. You got a couple of pitchers in the bullpen struggling. So a lot has to be put in. Uh, obviously, there's options to consider. Uh, some players are just going to have to be cut. And then you got the big, you know, $40 million man looming in uh, uh, Robinson Cano that I mentioned before. A little easier decision-making for the Phillies, you're saying? Yeah, I don't think they'll have a problem with this at all. And uh, like I said, they've just brought up a guy that they rescued 
rescued from being cut from another team, Roman Quinn. He used to play with the Phillies years ago. They brought him back, and he's a good backup, but I think he'll probably go down, and they'll probably select a uh, reliever uh, that they've been carrying extra to go down as well. So uh, don't think it's really going to affect the Phillies too much, but I'm really looking forward to the series uh, this weekend in New York with Phillies and the Mets, like you said. Uh, it's going to be great baseball, I think. Yeah, and, and now this is the time where things start to get into high gear. Uh, obviously, there's always that transition phase, that you know, getting to know you phase in the beginning of the season, the first uh, month of the season. It's early, you know. The same rules apply for the Mets, who are in first place right now. The Phillies are sitting at nine and ten currently. What is the feeling around the team and how Joe Girardi has run it so far? Well, it's been a little rocky for the first month, uh, and we're only not even to our first full month of play, but, you know, in local talk sports radio here in the Philadelphia area, it's been thrown out that uh, possibly Girardi needs to be fired, but that that sort of uh, sounded off maybe a week ago when the Phillies were really floundering. Uh, They're on the verge this afternoon as we're recording the show of sweeping the Rockies. They're up by three, uh, seventh inning, just about, and, uh, you know, when you start winning games, that talk goes away, and it goes away pretty fast. Um, Girardi seems to have survived the first three weeks of the Philly season, and uh, I don't think management is out for him. I don't think he will get fired, uh, regardless what happens to this team this year, to be honest with you. Um, You know, we just acquired some high-dollar free agents this year, and I think Girardi deserves at least a year to uh, try to guide this team to a better position uh, come September, October. Yeah, I think what people don't understand, too, and I know fans, like, right away, the team's struggling, and you want to get rid of, you know, players, and you want to get rid of, you know, the manager and coaches. That always is the talk of the town in in any team that uh, that is— you know, struggling. But I think people got to remember, you know, we're in a division, both the Mets and the Phillies. You got the Braves who just won the World Series last year. Obviously, the Nationals, I feel like, aren't going to really play a big role. But you got a young and upcoming team in the Miami Marlins with a young pitching staff. They're going to be uh, vying to, to you know, make a name for themselves and have these teams not take them for granted. So to allow Joe, you know, to get with this team that they currently have put together and and the big boppers that they got, a great offense that they have. Uh, I really think you got to give it some time to, you know, marinate and allow Joe to be able to put his stamp on this team. Obviously, you know, coming in 2020, they had the shortened season. Last year, a lot of things, you know, a lot of players getting injured and a lot of things were different. But, you know, now it's, it's finally that time, 2022, that things should be put together and, you know, we'll see what Joe uh, can do with this team if they don't make it to the playoffs this year. If they don't have a winning season, do you see a scenario where they cut the cord on Joe? Well, it's interesting that if I don't think if the Phillies do not make the playoffs this year that he'll get let go. They do have one year left as an option on his contract for 23. So uh, Dave Dombrowski just took over the president's role of the Phillies, and he will determine that. I mean, I don't know if he has somebody in the wings that he would want to bring in. I'm sure he could find somebody, of course, but um, I don't foresee the Phillies having a bad finish this year. I think they're going to finish somewhere around 88 wins or so. don't know if it'll be enough to get them into the playoffs, but assuming they do that, I think Phillies management will be happy. Fans will be happy. 
they just need to get over that hump because uh, it's been a long time. The Phillies have the second longest uh, dry spell of being in the playoffs all of a sudden here. Uh, probably a 10-year dry spell of anywhere near the playoffs. Yeah, I definitely think they have the talent to make it to the playoffs this year, especially with the new format and more teams being added. This team, and especially I really like the acquisition of Nick Castellanos, I really see them making a push here, making a move, and definitely challenging for the division, if not a wild card. I got to ask you about a former Met. Zach Wheeler, he was a Cy Young candidate last season. He has struggled out the gate. Is there any cause for concern for him, or do you think it's just too early to judge? You know, it's the first three starts. Obviously, he didn't have the same spring training as the other players on the team and the other pitchers. Are you seeing any cause for concern on Zach Wheeler? Uh, initially, I was, but I saw an interview with him after his last start for the Phillies. Uh, he started off 0-3 and three for the Phillies. Uh, prior to today's start, as we're recording the show, uh, he should gain the win today, so that'll get you know some confidence back into him. But I think due to the shortened uh, spring training this year, he didn't benefit from that at all. So he had mentioned that he's getting stronger, he's feeling better with each start after his last start, which was a loss for the Phillies, as I said. But his positivity outweighed any real concerns that I have for him. I think he'll turn it around as the weather starts to warm up, and we're still into 40-degree uh, days here in Philadelphia. The wind's blowing. Everybody's got their, their heavy jackets on at the stadium this afternoon, so it's just odd that the late April cold weather is still with us, but, you know, that's not pitching weather, really. Uh, you get concerned for a pitcher and their health anytime. Uh, gets real cold or the conditions get bad. Yeah, and then you also got the issues with the balls that's happening, especially with the Mets that's been going on this season and the hitting and the gripping and everything has been such an issue. I think Zach will definitely turn this around. Obviously, last year, Cy Young candidate. He pitched well in his last year as a Met. He's been pitching well for the Phillies. If he doesn't turn this around, it's hard for me to see the Phillies making the playoffs. They're, they really need Zach to be on top of his game, and I, I think that he will turn it around. I think it's too early. A lot of these pitchers have been judged way too early on uh two or three games, especially with the shortened spring training and only getting one or two starts. So Zach, I think, will turn it around. Before I let you go, I like to think about how each team can take advantage of the other's weakness. The Phillies, I think if they can get to the Mets' bullpen, they have a chance to do some damage. The Mets' bullpen is is not great. Um, it's been good, but there are a lot of flaws in there. What would you say, we're going to go reversal here, what would you say is a huge weakness this Phillies team has right now that maybe the Mets will be able to expose during this series coming up? Well, if there's anything I could point to earlier in the season, it was the lack of the Phillies getting on base, moving runners, uh, relying on the home run ball to win games. So basically play almost like a small ball type of uh, game for the Phillies is what they need to do. 
that's going to win them games day in and day out. And they don't have to rely on Schwarber hitting a home run or uh, Bryce Harper hitting a home run or Castellanos hitting a home run, which they're all very capable of doing. But I would rather see a more balanced attack on the offensive side from the Phillies. And of course, you know, in order for them to win, as you said, Zach has to come through for them. And we have two Zachs as starters. Wheeler is who I'm referring to. And Aaron Nola, their one-two punch. They've led up the Phillies a little bit so far in the first month. They haven't been as advertised, but I, I see them turning it around as soon as it starts getting a little warmer and the fills start getting uh, that pop to the ball when it gets warm. You know, there's nothing like being at the ballpark when it gets uh, hot and humid and that ball starts to fly out of the stadium. Rich, I know you're busy, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Please let everyone know what you're working on and how they can reach you on social media. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, you can find my blog at fightinphillies.com. I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at fightinphillies. Been on there a long time. And uh, the Phillies Talk podcast with Rich Baxter uh, is also on the fightinphillies.com site. It's on a site that I do as well called baseballtalkradio.com. That's a collection of uh, about 40 or so great podcasts. And I got to add yours to it, Anthony. I'm going to do that over the weekend. So by Monday, you're going to have a listing on baseballtalkradio.com as well. But uh, I wanted to thank you for inviting me. And congratulations to you and the fans in New York with that beautiful Tom Seaver statue. I saw that on one of the shows being unveiled and stuff. And uh, congrats on that great statue. He, he was a great pitcher. And uh, I don't want to date myself, but I go back to the Tom Seaver era as watching baseball as a young kid, and I used to love to watch him pitch. That statue was was long overdue. I think a good Mets-Phillies memory was the return of Tom Seaver in 1983 when he uh, went up against Steve Carlton. Yeah, yeah, Tom terrific. What a, a great pitcher he was, great announcer for the Mets for many years, and uh, you know, great statue to him. All right, Rich, thanks again, and you have yourself a great day. Enjoy the series this weekend, and we'll talk real soon. All right. Thanks, Anthony. Take care, and uh, nice to talk with you. That was Rich Baxter at FightinPhillies.com and the host of Phillies Talk Podcast. I thought we had to change it up a little bit, get another perspective, especially from a team that we're going to be playing all season long in the rival Philadelphia Phillies. So it's important to get another perspective in there. And Rich does a great job on his fightinphillies.com website and the Phillies Talk podcast. And if you just want to, if you love baseball and you just want to hear different things, different teams and how they're going about their business or, or scout other teams, I'd say listen to Phillies Talk podcast and uh, go on and check out Atlanta Braves podcasts and uh, Nationals podcasts and just you give yourself a little bit of everything when it comes to baseball. Final notes before this train leaves the station. Jacob deGrom had his MRI and CT scan results come back, and they've come back good. Not amazing, not great, but good so far. His stress reaction on his right scapula had some considerable healing. He can begin loading and strengthening of the shoulder now. He can't just pitch at the moment. That's not beginning. They will have to do five follow-up tests to determine if he can start pitching in the next three weeks. 
but it is a good start. So I expect Jacob to be on the field if everything works out perfectly. He gets flying colors. He aces his health test with flying colors. I expect him to be back probably sometime in July, July 4th. It could possibly be after the All-Star break. How about that? We lost him after the All-Star break last year, and we might get him back after the All-Star break, so about a year of not having Jacob deGrom. Right now, the pitching staff has held their own. One of the best pitching staffs in the league, definitely top three, I'd have to say. Even considering the rough outing that Cookie Carrasco had, that pitching staff led by Max Scherzer right now, led by Tyler McGill, uh, obviously Chris Bassett, and we have, you know, Cookie Carrasco doing it. David Peterson has pitched well. We're going to have the return of Taiwan Walker. He'll be coming back during the Phillies series during the weekend. So this pitching staff is looking good. The depth's looking good. But it will be amazing to just get Jacob deGrom on the field to pitch with Max Scherzer so that those two can lead this pitching staff and this organization to the playoffs and hopefully, finally, in my lifetime, a championship Also, J.D. Davis. Obviously, he got hit in the last game of the St. Louis Cardinals series. He got hit in the foot. X-rays were negative. Nothing's broken, but he had a little bit of swelling, so he's going to be wearing a boot for a couple of days. I wonder how that will coincide with the roster crunch that is to come and that we talked about earlier. We will see. That will do it. For the Subway to Shape podcast, and as we wrap up here, please follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome, thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms I just mentioned. Also, make sure to share this podcast with your fellow Met fans. Let them know that this is the place to be. This is the show to listen to. If you've been a supporter this whole entire time, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is without you. On top of that, Subway to Shea's global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also has reaches across the globe. And no matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week for you Met fans out there. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars. That's the best rating I could get. And leaving comments in the review section, it could only help me to help make this show better each and every week. You can also rate the show on Spotify. There's an option for that. So please do those things for me. That would help out a lot. Don't forget also to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the fan-sided network at fan-sided. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate you so very much and that right there will do it for this week's podcast always remember to listen subscribe share and review for anthony rivera you've been listening to the subway to shape podcast let's go mets